Hey everybody and welcome to another choke holding, body slamming, top rope flying episode of Pottywood, the podcast where we talk to the people who make movies about movies. I am one of your hosts, Steve Hester, and with me as always is... I got salt on my beans, baby! <laughs> yes, my name is Andrew Roger Carson. I will explain what I got salt on my beans, baby means. Yeah, okay. I hope you do because that's a hell of a way to introduce the show. It is a hell of a way to introduce the show. And this boils down to my son, Ethan. And if anyone knows me, they'll probably know of my son, Ethan, who is six Mm -hmm. years old at this moment. He's made me promise that I would actually say this on one of the shows. Because I think he's probably my biggest fan. I hope so. (laughs) Otherwise, I've seriously got problems. Well, it's about time he had one, at least. Yeah, yeah. I need one. One in my life. Uh, We were out in Chester on a day out and we went to a Weatherspoons because I have absolutely no taste and uh, we were sitting there getting our food and you obviously get these little sachets of salt and Ethan just decides to open it up and this this is a six-year-old child who everyone knows is absolutely nuts and he's pouring his salt on his food and just shouts out I've got salt on my beans baby (laughs) and everyone in the vicinity just laughs and I'm there like yes this is my boy so there you go, Ethan. Lived up to my promise. I love you loads. Get to bed. And please, when you get a minute, can you please restore my laptop screen to the way that it was? Because I don't know what you've done. That's going to have to be something which is going to sneak its way into a movie script at some point of yours in the future, isn't it? Quite possibly. Yeah. It gives me all my inspiration. Yes. But uh, there's something else that we also have to cover here today. Oh, okay. And as it is Tuesday when we are recording this... Yes. It is Bill Daly's birthday today. Happy birthday to you, Bill, because we can't use the actual song. But we hope you've had a really happy birthday and that it wasn't too long before you got all your presents. I guarantee you he's just turned off. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely guarantee you. We would like to wish you a very last Boy Scout happy birthday, Bill. We know it's your favourite film in the entire yeah. world. And uh, for, for those of you who may have seen a little bit of this on my Facebook, Steve, I know you wouldn't have because you don't have Facebook anymore. No, no, I got rid of that poison life. ages ago. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's a good job I have it, otherwise no one would know this show. True. I made a little bet the other day that if I posted up that I was watching The Last Boy Scout, within 20 minutes, Bill Daly would message me, cursing me. <laughs> And sure enough, 15 minutes after I put that post, oh. he, he messaged me basically saying, yeah, I have lost total respect for you. <laughs> so, yes, we won a bet. And then Richard Mirish suddenly turned around and said, oh, Andrew obviously has good taste, Bill. What are you talking about? So, yeah, ah, that was the easiest 20 pounds that I made. And I spent it on a Blu-ray copy of Jonah Hex and still had nineteen ninety-nine oh, left. Oh, I was going to say what the hell you're buying that for, but well done. Actually, going off a slight tangent, speaking of Blu-rays, I have actually gone on a little bit of a 3D buying spree recently because I like 3D films. Sue me. And uh, I got a 3D copy of um, Tron Legacy arriving in the post today. Ooh, that, that's a good choice. I actually yeah. saw that in 3D. Yeah. And it is one of those movies that it's built for. Yeah. It really is great. With the exception of uh, Jeff Bridges' weird CGI face. Uh, it only seems like Marvel's been the only people to pull that off. 
not even Disney when they made um, Star Wars were able to pull that off. Yeah, Disney when they're Marvel, they can do it. I don't know why. Well, speaking of Disney, uh, one little bit of news that I wanted to run by you this morning, which you may not have heard yet, but it got released this morning. They are finally doing a sequel to The Rocketeer. No shit. Yeah, yes they are. I knew you'd be happy with that. Ah, okay. Well, all right. This is going to be one thing which we will need to talk into some depth. Because I love The Rocketeer. I think it's a great film. So, yeah, I want to know, is it going to be the same time period? Is it going to be later? Because the the guys on Red Letter Media, they did a retrospective of it uh, sometime last year. And they were coming up with this whole kind of plot for the 1970s, which actually sounded kind of cool. So, doubt it's going to be that. But Well, uh. regardless of what it is, it's going to be great escapist entertainment. And speaking of escapist entertainment, let's talk about what's in the box from last week. Oh, dude. You've been practicing, haven't you? I know. I built that one in. I'm yeah. awesome. I'm, I'm so happy with that. So, yes, we have to talk about Midnight Express, which I believe you watched last night. And because I did not want you to suffer alone, I actually watched it last night as well. Yeah, I watched it last night. And you're expecting me to say that I was massively traumatized and uh, a shell of a man after watching this. But I'm not. And I'm going to get onto why in a Bits, but before I get into the whys, let me just fill you in if you haven't seen the movie. It's a true story, uh, well, based on a true story. Ish. A guy called Billy Hayes who was arrested after leaving uh, or attempting to leave Turkey with about two kilos worth of hashish strapped to his body with an attempt to smuggle it into the States and make some money out of it. He ends up being sent to prison in, what is it, somewhere in Turkey, I can't remember, I think it's somewhere in Istanbul. The movie is then him in prison trying to survive the day-to-day life. Now, in terms of it being a true story, there's a lot of it which plays hard and fast with the actual events. It was written yes. by, as then, relatively unknown Oliver Stone. Yes. Directed by, let me see if I can remember. Alan, Alan Parker. Alan Parker, that was it, who seemed to have got quite a fondness for Madonna and Pink Floyd throughout most of his career uh, until he died last year. And it's a very, very gritty film. It's, it's a weird one in the kind of the tone. The first half is kind of weirdly optimistic in spite of its horrible setting you've got randy quaid in there very young and pre-madness randy quaid you've got a young and pre-fame john hurt uh you've got bluto as the the main prison guard (laughs) and uh, the guy from ghostbusters as the uh, american attorney oh the hotel owner yeah that's what i'd seen him in before five thousand dollars i had no idea it would be so much i won't pay it um (laughs) But yeah, I was expecting this movie after you and Richard had kind of hyped it up the other week to just tear me down emotionally. And I think it might have been because over the past few weeks with what's in the box, we've been watching some pretty shocking stuff, really, since it's all started. I mean, Casualties of War for me is still, that's still the yardstick in terms of uncomfortable viewing. And then after coming in from Rescue Dawn the other week, where that was also... I wouldn't say it was the same level of brutal, but it was certainly unpleasant. Coming into this, it felt almost tame. And I don't know if it was because of my exposure to the previous movies that we've been watching, or just the fact that I'm coming to this now as someone who's celebrating the 42nd birthday in about two weeks. Cheap plug. Absolute cheap plug for your birthday. You're not getting a birthday special. I'll just go to the pub by myself then, whatever. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so it just kind of felt, kind of felt like I've seen worse over the years. There's been far more shocking things that have kind of floated in front of my eyeballs that have just made me feel really uncomfortable. So it didn't affect me in the same way that you guys were talking about. 
I did watch this alone, though. I will I will give you that, because the missus didn't want to watch it. But there were things in it which I was just... I was actually finding myself laughing at. Like, there's one point where Hayes and a couple of his Confederates try and escape, and they go into a, a tunnel, which is under the prison. And he ends up with, like, a denim waistcoat and a peaked cap that's pushed up at the front. And all I could think of was, oh, my God, he's turned into Ernest. <laughs> And it does kind of take you out of it when you're automatically equating one of the most harrowing prison movies of all time with Ernest Goes to Jail. So Yeah, yeah. I'd say. Well, as you previously mentioned, it has been exaggerated, uh, especially the, the treatment by the Turkish guards. Billy Hayes himself uh, has actually gone on record to say that Oliver Stone and Alan Parker had grossly exaggerated his story. Yeah. Uh, I think... The main effect from it has been the effect it had on Turkey. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, this film was banned in Turkey until, I believe, 1992, when it was uh, finally shown on TV over there, but it was banned from 78 all the way till 1992. Yeah, It's always kind of ha- left this stain on holidays to Turkey to this day. And uh, even I remember when people would say to me, oh, let's go on holiday to Turkey, the first thing that jumps into my mind is was Midnight Express. <laughs> Not that I was going to be like smuggling any hashish out of the country or anything like that. No. I'd just go to Salford for that. But it was um, very critical of, uh, obviously, the, the Turkish prison system and the country as a whole. Not as a whole, but as a whole. Yes. But they, they used a lot of unknown stars at the time to really add the realism of the story. And I think it works. It works definitely a lot more than, I guess, its spiritual remake from the late 90s called Broke Down Palace that starred uh, Kate Beckinsale and Claire Danes. And kind of, it was basically a female version of Midnight Express. I've seen it, that movie. Yeah. You have <laughs> seen it, yeah. It no, is. not it, that movie, but I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it is basically uh, the same movie with just females instead of males. But there's some great stuff in this movie. Mm, I mean, there is. I think the, there's some really nice performances in there. Some really low-key understated performances as well. And you don't get the feeling that the actors are kind of stepping on each other's toes. Like, everyone seems to have their own role within it. Exactly. Randy Quaid is kind of crazy. Surprise. Um, John Hurt just looks like he's smashed most of the time. Well, do you know that he actually stopped bathing for 53 days to get into that role? Yeah. And apparently the real Billy Hayes, upon seeing John Hurt playing this character, said it it was hard for him to not see the actual person he he was playing because apparently it was that spot on. Yeah, I mean, I thought the casting was great and it was quite a surprise as I was watching it going... Boom. Oh, it's that person. Oh, it's that person. Oh, it's John Hurt. Yeah. Um, but I think big part of it comes down to the portrayal of Billy Hayes. Played by the late Brad Davis. Yeah, who... He, he, at the opening, he reminded me of Brad Pitt with the kind of sunglasses and the floppy hair. He looked like, uh, looked like him kind of back in the late 90s, maybe. And then in some of the scenes, he kind of looks like Kurt Russell. And then as I was flicking through IMDb, it turns out that Kurt Russell was one of the people that was originally auditioned for the role. And you kind of think, well, why don't you just go for Kurt Russell? But yeah, he played the part really well. It's just a pity from what I was gathering about his uh, his his actions off camera that he was doing an awful lot of drugs himself, apparently. Yes. Um, Brad Davis is, is one of those real tragedies. And, and he lived... Uh, with AIDS for the longest of time, I believe from the 70s all the way up until he died in 1991. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and he's one of those actors that doesn't get a lot of due credit for his work. And I noticed from this movie, when I was watching it, I was like, he actually looks 
a hell of a lot like Rupert Evans, uh, who's an actor who's yes, a good friend yes, of mine. Yes, he does, actually, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it was weird because, I mean, I've known Rupert Evans for a whole bunch of years, and actually seeing Brad Davis's portrayal of it, there were scenes where it's like, wow, he really does look identical to... Rupert Evans. I think he's got very similar eyes. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I think there's a lot of great performances in there. Obviously, Brad Davis and John Hurt. Uh, you have Irene Miracle, who mm. played his, his girlfriend, girlfriend yeah. slash partner, who had one of, uh, I think, one of the most memorised and controversial scenes in the entire movie. Uh, yeah, it, that bit, in, I think that was probably the only part of the movie which made me just feel a little bit uncomfortable watching it. Imagine if your missus watched that scene. <sighs> yeah. And then, obviously, we had uh, Paul Smith as uh, Hamadou, as you mentioned. He was Bluto mm-hmm. in the Popeye movie. He was also the Beast Rabbin in Dune. Yep. And uh, he plays uh, the head guard, real nasty piece of work. And it's just the Beast Rabbin cleaned up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he played the part really, really well. He's one of those characters that you just hate right from the off. And there's pretty much no redeeming features to that particular character at all. And a little bit of yeah. wrestling trivia... Linked to Midnight Express. You want? Uh, many years ago in the 80s, there was a tag team known as the Midnight Express. And they used Giorgio Moroder's theme music from this movie as their entrance music. Ooh! Ah, I see. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, there you go. Speaking of the music, though, before we carry on with the rest of the show, I don't get why that won an Oscar. Sorry, I don't. Well, it's it's... It's kind of a... Is it classed as electro? Is yeah. electro? Yeah, it was pretty much electro. I mean, it was good, but I didn't really think there was enough in the movie itself to warrant being called a score. You, I don't you know. know. There, there was plenty of good cues in there. But yeah, I guess you kind of got to look at what it was up against. Yeah, which I'm not entirely sure what it was up against at the time. So if you know, write in and tell us. Or don't bother. So that was Midnight Express. I'm sad that it wasn't a harrowing experience for you, but I pray to God this week that you do get something more lighthearted, but probably don't bet on it. No. Because it doesn't work out that way for you. So I guess we better talk about some anniversaries. Watch them again, all of the time, or we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. They're gonna say Clint Eastwood is the biggest yellow bella in the West. Back to the Future 3, eh? Yep. Yeah, I remember that one. Okay, three anniversaries this week. Ooh, très anniversaire. I'm gonna guess... Straight off the bat, you've seen two of them, and I've never heard of one of them. All right, well, let's see what we've got then. What's the first one? Can you believe, Steve, uh-huh. 25 years ago, a movie called Mulholland Falls was released? Uh, no, I've heard Mulholland Drive, but not Mulholland Falls. I knew that you were going to go for David Lynch's incredible Mulholland Drive, and it is an incredible movie, and it's in the box. Mulholland Falls is not, but I will tell you a bit about it. Mulholland Falls was directed by uh, Lee Tamahori, who uh, directed uh, Once Were Warriors, uh, also did a movie a little bit later called The Edge that starred... Anthony Hopkins and uh, My, uh, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Alec, Alec Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, I, I nearly said William Baldwin. Then I get a bit, I get my Baldwins a bit mixed on occasion. Hey, you should know not to play with your Baldwins. <laughs> exactly, but this was the story of the Hat Squad, uh, the four LAPD detectives, also known as the Gangster Squad, which was also remade as a movie earlier this, well, earlier last decade, 
around 2012, I think, that starred Ryan Gosling. And this was a, a star-packed uh, movie vehicle, which starred Nick Nolte, uh, Melanie Griffith, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Chaz Palmintari, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Malkovich, Bruce Dern. It had a huge slew of stars in it. I know you haven't seen it, and it is a movie that is very Chinatown-esque. Mm. Have you ever seen Chinatown? I have, yeah. Yes. It's very much the same way. And it comes down to probably having the same production designer as Chinatown. Right. right which really helps it. But it's one of those movies that... Uh, it's it's quite surprising that it's a forgotten about movie, really. And I think maybe Gangster Squad maybe overshadows it a bit. But uh, it's it's worth tracking down. It's not a bad movie. But it was released 25 years ago. Well, no, I haven't seen it. But I do have a fondness for that kind of time period, that kind of sense of film noir. So, yeah. Yeah, probably might give that a uh, a track down. Give it a look. Yeah, it's worth it. Decent talent in it, yeah. Oh, yeah, and you've got others. You've got William Peterson's in there, uh, Titus Welliver's in there. You, you've got a really impressive supporting cast in it. It's a bit like LA Confidential. It just has a lot of those faces that you know. Mm. Okay, I guess that we have to go 10 years further back for the movie that was released 35 years ago this week, and it is an all-time classic, Steve. Go on. That would be Rob Reiner's Stand By Me. You know what? What? I haven't seen it. You what? I haven't seen it. I'm sorry, but uh, as far as like what's in the it. box channels no. goes, this is actually a shocker. Yeah, because it's one of those movies which has never been on TV. I've never really felt the overwhelming urge to go and rent it. And I've seen so much of it done in parody and pastiche over the years. It, it It's like, it's like the, something like The Godfather. You can watch it. And it still would be good, but I know full well that if I was to sit down and watch Stand By Me, I'd just be thinking of things like um, like, like the train sequence. I know there's a sequence where they go across a bridge in a train, and I'll be thinking of it's just the way that they took the piss out of even Family Guy. So it's going to be one of those films that now it's kind of a bit too late for me to actually see it and appreciate it for what it could be. That's tough shit, because it's in the box. All right, fine, stick and it in the box. you're going to end up watching it. I'm actually really shocked that you've not seen that movie, considering... You know, you are an 80s child, and you've seen a majority of all the essential movies that kids grew up on in the 80s. Oh, mate, I've got one big bomb that I could drop on you right now in terms of 80s movies and not having seen it, but I'm not going to because, uh, yeah, we need to press on. No, you're you're not having your cliffhangers. What is it? No, no. No, come on, you can't. All right, all right, okay, okay, right, right. This is one of those movies where I've kind of caught the beginning of and I've caught the end of and little bits in the middle. But I have never seen all the way through The Goonies. I have never seen The Goonies from start to finish. <laughs> how how is Hell, I think I was I think I was what? like about twenty five or something before I saw Superman two all the way through. You I know? Mean, suddenly Stand By Me is not as shocking anymore. <laughs> the, the fact that you have not seen The Goonies. Not Do you in know one how sitting, many people no. are gonna write in? Or think about writing in? Yeah, all right. All those people that are thinking of writing in, let me put it to you. You will have the exact same experience. You will have a movie that you will only seen bits of here and there throughout the years to the point where you've pretty much seen it, but just not all the way through and you're kind of missing a little bit of context here and there. And chances are it won't be The Goonies. Maybe not, but it'll be something else that's impressive or big. You know, it could be the god. It could be Star Wars. You know, there's still people out there say I've not seen Star Wars. Yeah, but that's generally by choice. But let's let's have a look. Yeah, I mean, you saw the Last Jedi. Really, is how bad can it be? So let's yeah. try and recover from that bombshell. 
by a bombshell that's probably going to shock a lot of people that a movie that this movie is this old. But 20 years ago this week, A Knight's Tale was released. Oh, that, yeah. That, you see, that is the weird little, um, oh God, what do you call it? Not apocryphal. Um, where, where something's kind of out of time. Oh God, I can't remember the word for it. But yeah, it's one of those. It's, it's one of those movies where everything doesn't fit with the time period, but it all fits wonderfully together. You know, it's, it's basically Chaucer, but read by someone that's uh, that's that wanted to be Guy Ritchie. <laughs> yeah, Brian Helgland, yeah. uh, who was the director of Payback and uh, a superb movie with Chadwick Boseman called 42, where he played uh, Jackie Robinson, the uh, baseball player. Mm. But uh, funny enough, Brian Helgland was the actual writer of L.A. Confidential. Oh, was he? Yes, as well as he'd written uh, other movies like Mystic River and Man on Fire, L.A. Confidential, I think, was the movie that really landed him on the map. I'm sure Bill can tell us a lot about that one. But yes, it was directed by Brian Helgland. I don't know. I'm sorry if I got that name wrong, Brian. Helgland, something like that. Helgeland, Hel, something. Anyway, and um, I guess it's the fluffiest Heath Ledger movie there is. Oh, yeah, it's kind of of like a nice, warm-hearted rom-com without it being heavy on the rom, more on the com. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a great film, to be yeah. honest. Uh, it, it's not something that would find itself in my DVD collection. I think it's, you know, it was all right. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I don't think I'd, I'd watch it again. The only thing I fully remember is a girl I was dating called Kate Mooney, who no doubt listens to the show. I think she does. She wanted the um, life-size stand of Heath Ledger that was in the video store. That had to be, like, saved aside for her. Mm. And that's the biggest memory I have of A Knight's Tale. I used to love getting the posters from the video shop when they were finishing them. I know. Wasn't that great? It was brilliant. Kids today, they don't know what they're missing out on. No. Videos. Oh, bring them back. Bring mm. them back. But yes, uh, yeah. that is all of the anniversaries for this week, Steve. Oh, short, sharp, bit shit. But yeah. <laughs> how how can again, you say that? You haven't just, even seen two me. of them. You haven't even seen two of them. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, anyway, that's the anniversaries this week. Track them down. <laughs> Uh, oh, God, I don't know what's up with me. I really don't. No, me neither. Ah, uh, I think it's about time we got the guest on, don't you? Oh, shit, we've got a guest. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, for- I forgot about that. Yes, uh, I think we better let our guest in. Well, over the years, I've gotten to know many a special breed of performer, the sports entertainer, or as they are more widely known, wrestlers. Today, more and more movie stars are coming from a wrestling background, with the biggest movie star in the world, Dwayne Johnson, gaining his worldwide fame from his time in WWE as The Rock. Then we have stars like Dave Bautista, currently one of the most talented actors to break from wrestling into serious and blockbuster motion pictures. John Cena's currently winning over Hollywood in comedies and action blockbusters, and before him we had some admittedly shoddy Hollywood movies like Mr. Nanny, Santa with Muscles, starring Hulk Hogan, old Thunderlips himself. Actors themselves, they're finding themselves muscling in on the world of wrestling, such as David Arquette and Mickey Rourke finding his way back into the mainstream in The Wrestler, covered here a few weeks ago. Rumour has it now Chris Hemsworth is currently circling a Hulk Hogan biopic, Brother, and rating Spike whenever a wrestling appears on a TV show. One wrestling family in particular has produced more crossover into movies than any other, and that is the Samoan Dynasty. From the Wild Samoans appearing in movies such as Body Slam and TV shows like Miami Vice in the 80s, 
to the current crop of superstars like Dwayne Johnson himself and the man Hollywood is eyeing up at the moment, Roman Reigns. The Samoan dynasty has a track record like no other. Today, I invited another acting member of that dynasty to Pottywood. Lloyd Anawaii has long been part of motion pictures, appearing in small roles in such movies as A Perfect Murder and The Wrestler, for which the family trained Mickey Rourke for his role as Randy the Ram Robinson, as well as training Dave Bautista for his career in the squared circle. Joining us is the first wrestler to appear on Pottywood. All the way from Florida this morning, Lloyd, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, you know, here in the sunny weather here in uh, Tampa, Florida, and uh, just enjoying the weather and uh, living life. Well, it seems like every single wrestler circles around Florida nowadays. Why is that? I think everybody likes the weather. <laughs> you know, the weather here is good. You know, you get a lot of rainy days, but, you know, you can't beat just the sun and, and the beaches and everything. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of wrestlers here. I mean, from Chris Jericho to uh, Kevin Nash, and it goes on and on. They all live in the areas around. Uh, so I think this is the wrestling capital of uh, living. <laughs> well, the, Lloyd, the role of the wrestler, it's taken such a large switch over the past few decades. You know, it's no longer this small specialty attraction for Hollywood. You know, it's now going into the mainstream. We've got streaming platforms that are getting into the action with series like uh, Glow. Uh, there's a new show, Heels, that's recently debuted. But Hollywood always seemed to circle the Samoan wrestler circuit, especially in the 80s. Now, growing up as part of this admittedly incredibly large family, uh, with your father also appearing in a number of shows and 80s movies, what is it? Can you remember about the general feel of bringing wrestlers into the movies in the mainstream, even back as the in the eighties? Yeah, uh, well, it's funny because I was on set with my dad when he did uh, Miami Vice, and uh, you know I seen what he was doing, and I was just recently, you know, I was young still, and I, I didn't even break into the wrestling business, I believe, at that time. But just seeing my dad and my uncle in that and Body Slam and doing a lot of different other things uh, and then plus getting involved in wrestling, it just opened my eyes to want to do something in acting. So the funny part about it is that um, I was on set with my dad at uh, Bonfire of the Vanities with uh, Tom Hanks and Melanie Griffith. You know, I was just there with him and I was hanging out and then all of a sudden... Uh, <laughs> the producer comes over and he goes, do you think your son would want to be in the part which you're, you're in? And I looked at him, my dad looks like, you know, well, come on. So <laughs> I was a little nervous about it, but uh, I started and I did that, you know, which was just a small role, but it became something that attracted me more into doing more parts. Like, for example, uh, after that, I did uh, three parts in uh, Law and Order, uh, which was pretty cool, and that was done in New York City. And and it's funny because everybody thought it was like, oh, you know, it's in different areas, but they had a warehouse, and everything was done in this one warehouse. All the scenes they were set up, and it was pretty cool for me to see. I never knew that. Uh, so I was learning as I was going, and then from there on, I just started wanting to do more, you know, scenes and more movies and stuff like that, and then opportunities came to uh, do other things, and uh, came The Wrestler, and we had the opportunity to train Mickey Rourke for that movie, which was awesome because he's a great guy. People see him as being this cocky, 
actor, and but he was just awesome, uh, and he was so easy to work with. Well, was there a moment for a young Lloyd uh, where you witnessed this transferring of interest in wrestlers? I mean, was there a certain movie or a TV show where you saw a wrestler in it and thought, oh, oh, this is it? Yes. <laughs> to be honest, when I saw my cousin Dwayne Johnson do movies, I, I, I wanted to do more. And it just pushed me to do more. And then uh, I got the opportunity to actually be in the trailer for his movie Hobbs and Shaw. And to be in that movie, which was, was great. It was it was awesome. And it was funny because me and my cousin Roman Reigns, we didn't know we were going to be on set at the same time. He flew in from Germany. WWE uh, flew him in from Germany. And uh, as soon as he got in the car, you know, they have an agent with you. You know, of course, they keep an agent and a liaison with him as he, you know, where he travels. So they going over there, everything with him. And they said, uh, we have uh, two Anawais on this list. We have you and and he looks at it. He goes, that's my cousin. So finally, when he gets to on set, he looks at me and he goes, why didn't you call me and tell me you were going to be here? I said, ah, well, I, I didn't know you were going to be here till yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we each didn't know we were going to be on set for the same part. And uh, we had a great time. But the best thing about it is it's so awesome to work with family. Because just like in wrestling as a tag team, you know each other, you feel each other, you know what we're going to do. And the same thing when we did the parts you know, it was just so smooth because we we fed off each other, and it was great. <laughs> so, Lloyd, growing up, kayfabe was pretty much still in flow. The wrestlers were staying in character, not only the product, but also away from the product when it comes to fans and stuff like that. In the 80s, when it was more prevalent, were wrestlers still kind of staying in character around movie sets? I mean, obviously, with the Samoans and the Wild Samoans, uh, the 80s stereotype was the untrained savage from the islands, you know, what how they used to be presented on TV. Did you, your dad, your brother and stuff like that, did they have to um, keep up this gimmick even on movie sets? Yeah, uh, my dad, it was one thing about him. He was all about kayfabe, you know, he... Uh, you live your your character you, you know you have to be that character all the time i mean uh that's what people lived on back in the 80s they believed in the character if you were this vicious wild person from samoa and they they were scared of you well you had to keep that character up so yeah it, it was more like yeah it was kayfabe and, and everything you know if you were on a movie set or if you were somewhere you try to protect the business as much as you could that must have been exhausting yeah i mean you know well i mean it's just like if you're at wrestling you know you just gotta continue the gimmick mm. <laughs> keep it going <laughs> you know, it's just heightened method acting really you know it's it's a, a lot of Actors do it now where they basically will live as this character throughout an entire production. And I guess it's kind of the same in wrestlers of the 80s. They were extremely protective of their image. You hear more stories from the 80s. I know that um, one of your family members, Haku, I believe, or yes. Meng, as they call him, was yes. one of the most feared men <laughs> in the entire industry. Yes, for sure. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stories about him. Uh, well, I mean, there was a lot of stories about, you know, how rough he was in the ring. 
And it's so true because he he was just so vicious coming up in wrestling and he was trained that way. So, you know, when you come from the islands and you get into a sport like professional wrestling, I mean, as big as we are, you know, we, we know nothing to do but, you know, do what we got to do best. And uh, when he came into the business, he was trained rough and he just believed in the sport. One of the stories was when I was in Puerto Rico, I was wrestling in Puerto Rico for WWC, Carlos Colon. You know, I went there, and the first thing they were telling me stories about my brother and my cousin, and then the biggest ones were about Haku, where he was so vicious over there. One day he was in a bar, and he was eating something, and the fans came up to him and just started getting on him because he was a true heel. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, this guy decided to want to take him on, and he told the guy, you know, leave him alone. Well... He gave him the warning, and the guy started, and next thing you know, he ended up throwing this guy through a window, and then his, you know, the guy's girlfriend jumped on his back, <laughs> and he actually slingshotted her over his back out the window with her boyfriend, and then they were <laughs> laying out on the ground. <laughs> so they called the cops, and the cops came, and there was like 12 of them, and they just couldn't handcuff him. They couldn't handle him, and he was wild. And then all of a sudden, one of the cops came there and they put a shotgun in his mouth. And that's when he just gave up. <laughs> it took over 12 cops to hold him. Yeah, I, I guess that no matter how big you are, how tough you are, the moment that there's a shotgun in your mouth, you start to reevaluate certain uh, things. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the 80s, you had Hulk Hogan in Rocky Three and No Holds Barred. You had uh, Ruddy Piper transferring into They Live, which is one of my favorites, and Hell Comes to Frog Time. You had Andre the Giant in yeah, another one of my favorites, The Princess Bride. Um, but yet, yeah, wrestling in movies itself was still presented as a real competitive sports in stuff like body slam uh which is a pure cult slice of 80s cheese now was there a feeling of these name wrestlers selling out back in the day or was everyone just wanting to jump onto this acting craze if you remember well what i can remember i remember is uh you know of course they they wanted hulk hogan because he was the the big star back then and that was his look and his size, of course, you know, he was movie material from WWF pushing him at that time, being the biggest star. And let's admit it, he made WWF a lot of money back in his days. Oh, yeah. So, you know, from him doing movies and then from WWF seeing that and them, them being more leading to sports entertainment, it opened the door for a lot of the wrestlers to have opportunities to become movie stars as well. I think by that, the company went out and, you know, of course, now we know WWE has their own uh, production and everything. But I think mm -hmm. it opened the door a lot for a lot of guys since they started sports entertainment. Well, obviously, in, in 2000, the wrestling world was kind of given a blow by the disastrous Ready to Rumble, no matter what Bill says. <laughs> uh, which probably killed off more wrestling-themed picture projects than anything else. Uh, did you see the movie, and, and what were your thoughts on it as a full-time wrestler? Ready to Rumble, to be honest, uh, I don't 
I probably would have seen I could have seen it I, I can't remember it possibly this was the infamous movie that resulted in David Arquette winning the WCW championship I'm sure that news got back to you oh okay yeah 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 okay I got you now yeah it sounds familiar but now it rings a bell uh yeah with David Arquette being in wrestling it's it <laughs> who would think that he would become a wrestler you know what I mean or have so much interest in wrestling but I think he does a, he did a great job in the movie and I actually saw a match of his I believe it was with uh it was A and E or T N T N T, I believe it a T N A or he did a he did a match with someone uh and he didn't do a bad job. Yeah, he he did a, a kind of uh, I guess what some people call them garbage match wrestling or or extreme hardcore wrestling in a match I saw recently. And he put his body through incredible torture to yeah. to make it authentic, and it was full kudos to him. Yeah, you get a lot of uh, that's funny. You get a lot of the actors that actually like wrestling. They're wrestling fans, and all of a sudden, in between their their acting and knowing that they like that sport, they always want to try it. Like for example, look at now how they had Bad Bunny, a reggaeton artist that was in yeah. WrestleMania. I think. Believe it or not, for as small as he was and for him being a wrestling fan, because I met him in Louisiana, him and his uh, his producer, uh, uh, DJ Louian, Ric Flair and his wife introduced me to him at WrestleMania in Louisiana. And from there on, you know, I had his number and I had, uh, you know, DJ's number. We kept in touch. But the match that he had at WrestleMania was unbelievable. It was. For it was someone in, that does not know anything, you know, loves wrestling, but didn't know anything about it. I think from him loving it, it just became natural to him. And the people that were training him, he had some of the best trainers out there helping him. And, you know, the match was great. He actually did the whole match by himself. If you noticed it, uh, Damian only came in one time, but yeah. they had him do the whole match, and I think he did a phenomenal job. It was. It was a real head turner. Uh, I I saw WrestleMania this year because I, I felt the appeal of seeing you know an arena full of fans, which I believe WWE was among the first to really bring fans back yes. uh, in that kind of capacity, and I tuned in because I'd missed it for so long. It was a phenomenal match. It was one of the highlights of the entire two-night mm-hmm. event at the Hill. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a massive a massive follower of the WWE, but last year when COVID hit and they did the first WrestleMania without an audience, that was so weird. And it, I think that actually probably did an awful lot of good stuff for them because it was able to let them bring out a lot more creativity. So, for example, the, the Undertaker match, I loved. I thought there was a wonderful little piece of uh, storytelling. So I miss this year's, but uh, it'd be good to see how they've been able to take that kind of storytelling aspect and then being able to push it more in front of a live audience. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, it took it out of the box when they couldn't do it in front of a live audience because of COVID. And The Undertaker's match I thought was tremendous as well. Also with Edge and Randy Orton, I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Edge really put his body through a lot just coming back knowing that he went through surgeries on his neck and taking a chance. I'm pretty sure the doctor said he was okay, but still, you got to have that doubt in your mind. What could happen? You know, all the stuff that him and Randy Orton did, it, 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 there was a lot of stuff in there, you know, that he could have injured his neck again, but he put his body on the, on the line, and that, that was a great match. Whilst wrestling at the box office was more or less DOA turn of the century, the arrival of Dwayne The Rock Johnson spearheaded wrestling into Hollywood like 
probably no one has before. Not, e- not even Hogan, brother. And as a close <laughs> member, uh, a close family member to Dwayne, uh, when did you get the inkling that he was going to be something special? No, I, we knew it from when he was a when he was a teenager, when he was a child. Yeah, you know, people have seen the videos of him when he was younger. He used to act like he was a, a, a ring announcer. When we were young, I see him, and he just always just try to do promos. You know, he was good at it, believe it or not. You know, he had the mind for it. And uh, when he hit WWE and became the star that he was, his promos were just flawless, you know, the way he took on with the audience and everything. Definitely. But he, he mm-hmm. did not just... It was natural to him, but he studied it. He studied the art of being, you know, who he is. He used to go to the library. He used to come up with phrases. I mean, not too many people do that. You know, you try to talk off the top of your head. He did that, but he studied it, and he made it the best that he could, and that's why he is who he is now. And when he got into the movies, my aunt told me, you know, that, Dewey was doing this, we call him Dewey, but DJ was doing his first movie, I believe it was The Scorpion King, and um, we found out he was doing that, and uh, he always wanted to be in movies. At that time, he saw that it was his time to start, and from there on, he just took it all the way. I mean, he put his foot on the gas and kept going. Well, yeah, Dwayne definitely, um, (laughs) no pun intended, took the bull by the horns, and yeah, uh, I think it was his appearance in The Mummy Returns and not his CGI appearance in The Mummy Returns, as Steve remembers <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, God. One of the worst CGI effects ever. <laughs> you know, they were, able, they were able to perfect the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, and then they come out with that at the end of the Scorpion. Oh, God. <laughs> I'd love to know what Dwayne thought about that uh, very early attempt at CGI. Unfortunately, it... <laughs> It's not survived. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, probably back then he didn't know too much about it, just getting into it. But right now he'd probably say it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the mid-2000s, WWE started pumping out action and horror movies, starring members of their roster, such as Steve Austin in The Condemned, our mutual good friend Glenn Jacobs, current mayor of Knoxville County. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Glenn, in the horror movie See No Evil, which is a bit of a cult classic, really. I actually really kind of enjoy that movie. And, of course, John Cena uh, in movies like uh, The Marine, which is not such a great movie. But most of these movies were met with kind of bad reviews and seen as pretty cheap movies in comparison to big Hollywood movies. But away from that, the independent motion picture, The Wrestler, was starting to make its journey to the screen. And obviously, uh, you were involved with this. Uh, how did the uh, Samoan Wrestling Camp end up contacted about this project? Well, they contacted the producer, um, contacted my dad, and wanted to introduce him into helping the actor that they were going to use, which actually was supposed to be uh, Nicolas Cage. He started yes. actually training for it. And then he he had actually put money into the movie to do it. But then he came up, you know, he was committed to doing uh, National Treasure 2. So he had to pull out of it. The producer was going crazy trying to find who can we get to do this movie. Finally, they come up with Mickey Rourke. And they said this is the opportunity for him to get back into the limelight to where he was because as we all know Mickey Rourke fell off the the scene for a while 
So they called my dad and they contacted him and they told him that, you know, they were going to bring in Mickey Rourke now to train if he would still be interested in training for the movie. And they introduced the movie to him. They told my dad what was what it was about. And, uh, you know, he was all game for it. So, uh, but I'll tell you a little story, <laughs> which is a little funny, but he actually was used to boxing, and he, but he wasn't ready for the training in wrestling. So the difference was, you know, hitting the ropes, taking falls and bumps and everything. It takes a lot out of you. And Mickey actually learned that the hard way because every time we tried to train him, he would just, he couldn't breathe. He would have panic attacks. So we had to open the window and he would run to the window to get air and everything. You know, we just help him out. So I, I came up with a little idea. I told him, I, I tried to help him breathe. And then we came up with a thing where we would put paper bags in each corner. So in case he started hyperventilating, I, we'd let him breathe in a bag and everything. So it worked out. But um, we had a great time, uh, you know, training him and doing the movie with him. And I was glad to be a part of it, as well as my dad being like part producer in the movie itself. And uh, it was just a blast. He, they actually had a, to started working in the gym, in our, our regular gym, our wrestling gym. Uh, then they bought their own ring and set up a studio in New York. So we used to go out to New York all the time and train them there. With Mickey, it was great. I mean, you know, to be introduced to help him in, in, in the movie and to read the script and everything, I, you know, I thought it was great. The movie itself provides quite a, I suppose, an, a negative uh, way of looking at the end of a wrestler's life. But would you say it was rather realistic when you look at a lot of the, the wrestlers that have come before, particularly from the 70s and 80s? I think it be, yeah, the movie is realistic for the wrestlers that are in the new era right now. Because back in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't so much of the you know, things that are going on right now in the wrestling business. We all know that a lot of guys died from taking pain pills or doing things that they weren't supposed to do right now. And uh, back in the 70s, 80s, it wasn't like that. So I think it was showing how the wrestling industry is now. And in the movie, you can see how he was always hurt. And then he would go right to the pain pills and he would take those. And so it was showing how the wrestling industry is become now to be honest i've seen a lot of things happen to a lot of wrestlers and i've been around them uh and seen a lot of things you know knock on wood that i never went that journey and i don't put anybody down for what they did i love them all the ones that passed away i have family members that passed away in the wrestling business uh have respect for them but the truth is the truth and uh I think the movie is great. It shows people what really what's going on. Yeah, I I really enjoyed watching it. I really did. Yes, because Steve actually saw this movie for the first time. I think it was about a month back. Uh, uh, yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah, when it was pulled out of uh, what's in the box, and I warned him straight away. We're, we've got Lloyd in this movie, and you'll see him straight away at the beginning. And I did. A movie goes on, click, and it's the little opening batch, and then into the dressing room, and just looking around. Oh, it's Lloyd! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, really enjoyed watching it, and he must have put his body through absolute hell for that. He did, and we put him through hell. <laughs> you know, we had to train him for it, and uh, he he was all for it. You know, besides him, you know, having panic attacks. 
uh, for breathing and everything, but he really put his all into it. He he did. I, I can't say anything about Mickey. Like I say, he's a great guy, and uh, he knew that he wanted to do this role. He wanted to make it right. So with us, you know, my dad, everybody calls my dad Pops, and he called my dad Pops, and they have a great relationship still to this day. So he enjoyed working with us, and he couldn't thank us enough for, especially my dad, for helping him and and doing everything to make the movie great the way it was you are also correct me if i'm wrong you are also a trainer at your dad's school as well yes so i i think obviously for, for wrestling fans and also for general fans who listen to our show as well this school has produced a hell of a lot of names and not just samoan names just kind of give us an example of some of the people who you've seen come through that school and who have been trained by AFA's uh, Samoan camp. Wow, I mean, there's a lot of names that came out. When we first opened our gym back in 1985 in Allentown, Pennsylvania, I was only 15 at that time. <laughs> and uh, I was helping my dad train the students, and we had a lot of guys come through there, like um, Gene Snitsky. Big Gene. Uh, yes. <laughs> You're all right, Gene. Uh, we love you, Gene. Uh, Billy Kidman. Uh, there's so many... Uh, Dave Batista, <laughs> you know, was one of our biggest stars that came through our gym. And of course, all of us, we trained with my dad, you know, and became who we are in the wrestling industry. There's so many more that we trained. I mean, even years ago, my dad helped train Hogan. Wow. Even a junkyard dog. And, and the list goes on. I mean, there's a lot of talent that came through our gym. And uh, I'm thankful that I was there and had the opportunity to help them as well. Especially, I had a big thing going on with uh, Batista. You know, I, I uh, was a big role in his uh, training as well. Were you surprised by the reaction to The Wrestler when it was released? Uh, it was winning awards and plaudits all across the board. Did people expect it to pull it ready to rumble and just clatter into the trash? To be honest, when we were filming it, I thought it was going to be a B-movie all the way. <laughs> you know, I was happy to be a part of it. But when the movie came out and how big it was and getting Academy Awards for the movie, it, it blew my mind because I did, really didn't think it was going to be that big. But I'm so happy that it did become that big and gave Mickey Rourke the opportunity from there to go and do other movies like uh, Iron Man and all this other stuff. I mean, it opened the doors for him again. And that's what I really feel great about to see him get back on the scene again in the root in the movie the wrestler to help him with that you know i was happy to be part of that and i think the movie was just it, it blew a lot of people away it certainly did well as mentioned just a moment ago you trained uh, current hollywood star dave batista you trained him for the career that started his stardom ascent which was for wwe I believe uh, he got his start in, I think it was Ohio, Ohio Valley Wrestling. But yes. From when he came into the camp, what was your first impression of him? Uh, what do you remember about him coming in? Well, I met him after I left Puerto Rico. I came back home, uh, to, to the U.S. and I uh, started back training, helping my dad train the students. And my dad told me, he goes, I got a guy that's huge. He goes... I want you to, you know, help him with the big man style. I say he's a big boy. So I'm thinking maybe this guy's just, like, tall and didn't know what, you know, what kind of physique he had or anything like that. 
<laughs> until Dave walked in the door <laughs> and then I saw him and you know he's he's big now but he was bigger back then I mean oh, yeah. he was into bodybuilding but he was just huge and I was like wow I said this is a challenge and I worked <laughs> with Dave a little bit and um, Dave was very very forward into getting trained the right way so we had a lot of other students that would work with him but he didn't want to work with them. It was either my dad or my brother or myself. And my dad worked with him, but I worked a lot with him on big band moves and doing a lot of stuff. So I spent a lot of time with him working and we became great friends. Uh, you know, we used to go work out at the gym together. He used to show me certain things at the gym I could do to get me in better shape. And we became very good friends. In between him training, we had a meeting with WWE and we got on contract, me and my cousin uh, Matt on Hawaii that passed away, Rosie, and we were on contract. So <laughs> in between that and training uh, Batista, we were on the road. Finally, my dad felt that, you know, it was time to introduce him to, you know, to Vince. So one day, I, my dad calls me up. He goes, I call the office and they want to see Dave. And they asked to bring somebody with him to work with him in front of, you know, the office. So first thing, uh, you know, Bruce Pritchard at that time was in charge of talent relations. So he knew I was on contract and he says, um, you know, have your son and, you know, have Lloyd come up with him. And, you know, that was a great opportunity for me to go back in front of them because at that time I, I lost a lot of weight for the company. I had to get back in shape because of what they wanted to do with us. So I, I took a trip with Dave to Connecticut, went to uh, the office, which at that time they had a ring in the back of a warehouse. And that's where we trained with uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, which is one of the best. Uh, so we went over there, and um, <laughs> Tom was there, and he said, you guys do your thing. You're here to show Vince and everybody in the office what you what, what he's got. So we went over there, and we, I told Dave, I said, you know, this is not just going to be you throwing me around. I said, they want to see what you can do both ways so it's going to be a back and forth match that we're going to do is to show them what you can do besides just being a big guy so we went and we had the match and um, made them look great so the office says okay yes you know uh, we'll get in touch with you all right so we get in the car we drive we're heading back to pennsylvania and right when we got to pa his phone rings and it's the office and they said, okay, we're overnighting you a contract. And to me, that was the <laughs> fastest I've ever seen someone get a contract <laughs> overnight and not even getting home yet. And I was just so happy for him at that time, you know, and I was proud to be part of that. How loud did he scream in the car when that call <laughs> he, came He through? really didn't scream loud. He couldn't believe it. He was like, already? You know, and I was like, that's the way it works, man. He goes, I'm proud of you. He goes... Oh, man. So I guess he had a lot to do with his girlfriend at that time, his fiance, his wife. They had to make plans because from that point on, they told him, we're going to send you down to Ohio Valley. And that's what they did. So he was with us for a little while. And then before you know it, he was out to Ohio and then they took over from there. Well, when Dave first started to take up wrestling, he was, uh, shall we say, more advanced in age than a lot of the people which tend to come through. Now, yeah. you've already mentioned how he wanted to get trained 
properly, as in your words. Um, but was his actual work ethic a lot different than the younger guys at the time? Was he pushing himself harder, or? I think yeah, he 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 was he was working hard, but I think his body size he was so big it was hard for him to move around and adjust. I think it was his issue, and that's what the issue we were having with him when we were training him. But after a while, he became loose. Actually, while we were training him, he actually tore his tricep. Ouch. And he was out for a little while, and he came back. And i never seen a person, how should I put it? You know, they have the knee braces mm-hmm. to where it goes around your, your, your uh, thigh and then around your knee. It's yeah. a solid brace. Well, they used that for his arm. That's how big his arm was. <laughs> <laughs> so he came back to training with this big, uh, you know, brace on. And I looked at him. I said, did you do that yourself? I said, because, you know, that's for your knee. He goes, now that's what the doctors gave me because that's all that could fit around my arm. And I started laughing. I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, but after that, you know, he his, his, his tricep healed up and we, we started training again. And this is before going back, before he, you know, he got his call to WWE. He worked hard through it. And I think when he went down to Ohio Valley, they gave him a different style that they wanted him to have. Because we started the work and they actually finished it, which me personally, I wish we had more time with him before they called him up to the uh, to the big show. Uh, but um, you know, he he made the best of it and worked great. But I think he could have been greater if he had a little more time with us. That, yeah, and and talking of yourself, Lloyd, uh, just getting back into the the movies thing there, I do want to ask you before that is how you feel now seeing Dave, who's he is a big Hollywood star now. You know, he is yes. probably the greatest wrestler turned movie star behind Dwayne Johnson. And he's gone in a very different direction where Dwayne does a lot of huge Hollywood stuff. And Dave seems to focus on doing a lot of serious movies uh, as well. You know, so he's been, as well as doing stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, he's done stuff like Dune, Blade Runner. So he focuses a lot on very serious acting. Did he kind of have this love of acting way back then? I didn't notice it back then. You know, we kept in contact and he said he was going out to L.A. to do some. I think he was tired of wrestling. He was trying to look for something different. And, of course, he looked into movies. But I I know uh, one day I was talking to him and he said he was going out to L.A. to uh, take some acting classes. I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, that's great. Hopefully he go out there, maybe he's trying to get involved. But after a while, then I saw him in his first movie. He didn't even tell me the first movie he was doing. When I saw it, I was like, wow. You know, I, I called him up and I was like, uh, you didn't even tell me you were doing a movie. You know? <laughs> and uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, well, it just happened all of a sudden, you know, while I was out in L.A. And, and I was thanking him and, you know, and, and was proud of him. And it was just good to see him in the movies. But when he was with us, I didn't see anything portraying that he said he wanted to get in movies. We never talked about it. And the size and the way he looks, yeah, he can be in movies, that's for sure. But he never really talked about it. Well, I'd say in, in talking about yourself, I mean, you've been appearing on and off in a number of Hollywood movies throughout the years. Uh, noticeably, A Perfect Murder, which was a remake of Die Lem for Murder. This was back in uh, 97 or 98, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. How did you kind of uh, land in this position yourself? We went for the, well, we went to New York and my dad was actually in it as well. And uh, it's funny because every time my dad had something, you know, where his agent would call him up and had something for him, uh, we went through the same agent. So they would call us in. Uh, they would, you know, back then it wasn't like now you do echo cast and do stuff from your home and all that. Back then they would call you in and you'd see a line of people waiting to do this casting. So we went and did the casting for it. Uh, my, you know, they called us back and my dad got the part and then they, they put me in a part which was in the discotheque as a security, you know, at the bouncer at the door. And um, I was all game for it. I was ready to do anything they wanted to because it was something that I was wanting to do after I did the other few movies that I did little parts in there. So this was something, especially with uh, Michael Douglas, I was like, wow, you know, I love his movies and all that. I was like, okay, this is this is a great opportunity, you know. Even if it's a small little part, it's it's better something better than nothing. It was just great. And also work with Michael Douglas, you know. All right. Well, the Samoan tradition is one of looking after and respecting family, and all of you tend to stay very very close. Now, can you discuss this legacy of the Samoan way of keeping family close? It's our custom, you know. We call it the Fasa Moa, which is we are raised that way. We were always raised to be close to each other, to love each other, and to respect each other from the eldest to the youngest. And that's just our custom, and we live by that, and we were always taught from our parents, as well as we teach our kids to be the same way, as they're to be close with their cousins and their family members. Our custom is very, very loving and caring, and, you know, we treat people that are not even Samoan, you know, like if you was to come to the island, we would treat you like a king as well because, you know, that's just the way we are raised, you know. There's a lot of songs about, you know, Samoan people and it's like we're loving and happy people and it's totally right. I love the way I was raised. I love my culture and I raised my kids the same way and it will continue on. Hopefully my kids will raise their kids when they have them and uh, continue the, the legacy and the, and the tradition going. Oh, definitely. And and with Dwayne standing high on Hollywood at the moment, interest is now honing in on Roman Reigns as a crossover star. And apparently there's there's some interest in him in Hollywood following his appearance in Hobbs and Shaw. And I know you're close to your cousin. Uh, what, what do you see for him in his future following his, his first appearance in a movie? I see him being the next Dwayne Johnson, believe it or not. I see him being DJ all the way because he has the look. He has the itch for it now. And I know for a fact that he will be the next top movie star once that time comes. You know what I see for him? I I would love to throw this idea out there and hopefully it can get trending on Twitter. Dwayne's kind of taking on DC by being Black Adam. Mm -hmm. And I want to put it out there for Roman Reigns to be Namor the Submariner for Marvel. Because I think... He would give Jason Momoa a run for his money as Aquaman. Oh, good call. Wow. Yes, absolutely. That is, that that is, man, you hit that right on the head. That, that would be great. And you could tell him I said that and to get the word out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because they're, they're looking to do uh, an introduced Submariner at some point. Uh, Sasha Banks has recently been in The Mandalorian. You know, so it's not unrealistic. If Roman Reigns is not pushed as Namor. I don't know anyone else who could fill that role. But it'd be great because it'd be the ultimate counter of Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, wow, that that uh, I'm gonna have to put that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Let, let's get it sure. Twitter. Pottywood said it first. Yeah, just mention the podcast. Mention the podcast. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, that would go right up there better than the one that's going at the moment. The Miz as Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat, which is almost genius. But I was thinking the other day when I was looking through the whole Marvel upcoming slate, and I think they want to kind of introduce uh, Submariner possibly in a Fantastic Four movie in a couple of years. They haven't cast any roles yet. I think that would be the greatest call that they could do. Yeah, I totally agree. We could probably do an entire show on this, couldn't we? Just wrestlers who should be cast in certain roles. <laughs> yeah, you because know, I mean, obviously Dave, uh, Big Dave, um, is brilliant as Drax in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then we mentioned him doing the dramatic stuff earlier, and uh, he he did a little short for uh, his appearance in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I thought was fantastic. Um, yes, but it'd be interesting to see who you could then pick out to play someone like the Thing in a rebooted Fantastic Four. Because I mean, who, who could you get? You know, yeah. Who who's kind of big enough and chunky enough to be able to pull something like that off? Well, I don't know. Question, They'd probably yeah. make the same okay. mistake as they did last time and give it to Billy Elliot. I know, uh, you know, Dave is actually trying to talk them into doing just a sequel off uh, Drax in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's trying to uh, see if he can just do a movie on that character itself i've seen him uh talk about it and he actually talked to me about it because actually <laughs> he lives uh you know he lives here in florida as well and uh i went over there and we had dinner one night you know I also i took my family over there and he's seen my kids which he hasn't seen since they were babies and we talked a lot and um, he has a different perspective on the movies he doesn't want to follow, like if you see, there's a lot of stuff going, writings and stuff on uh, social media and stuff like that and Twitter and, you know, all over the news that he doesn't want to follow the role or be like Dwayne Johnson or John Cena. Yeah. He wants mm-hmm. to do his own thing. And that's always been Dave. He's always had a creative mind of his own. And let alone that a lot of people don't know that Dave is a very quiet person. He's actually a very shy person. That's why I don't even know how he got into movies because he's so <laughs> shy, you know, <laughs> or even wrestling, you know, and doing uh, promos. But he's taught himself to come out of that shell and do what he has to do and make him the person, the great movie actor that he is right now. Uh, well, so what does the future hold for you, Lloyd? Now, I know that you've got a few things that are coming up. Some you can't talk about, some you can. Uh, so where are, we, where are you going from here? Well, I, you know, besides wrestling, I'm still wrestling. I have some uh, big events coming up. Uh, I'm actually a part of a historic wrestling thing that they're doing, if everybody remembers Bruiser Brody. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. You know, and, Legendary. Um, yes. They did a Bruiser Brody Cup in Japan, which was phenomenal. It was great. And now uh, they have the Bruiser Brody Cup 2 coming up, and it's going to be done in Texas, and I am going to be part of that. And I'm stoked to be a part of it because uh, Brody was a great guy. I heard nothing but great things from my dad and my uncle about him. And I wish I, I met him one time, but I wish I was able to be in the territory in Puerto Rico when he was there because he was on fire there and even in Japan. But um, I'm, I'm stoked to be part of it. You know, I just can't wait for November to come around and uh, do the show and see 
all the talent that's going to be there. It's going to be one of the biggest shows in Texas. And also, I will throw this out there, that you are facing off against another friend of ours in, uh, I think it's next month, that you and Glenn Ruth are going to hook up on a card. Yeah, I was just going to mention that as well. Yeah, we are wrestling in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We are on a wrestling event, uh, him and his partner, Chad, against me and my brother. So you got the Headbangers against the Sons of Samoa, and I think it's going to be a great match. And uh, I'm going to make sure I uh, go ahead and uh, give Glenn a little extra just because I want to. Is it? I want some Rumble Rama gang signs <laughs> for that uh, event. He, you can get all the gang signs, and they, it might be some. I might make him do a gang sign. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's what we need want to see. Still represent for the project that's giving us the most trouble. Yeah, <laughs> the little movie that could. Well, Lloyd. I mean, uh, the one great thing about it is uh, the Samoan dynasty. I, I don't think. Um, casual listeners will kind of understand they may know of some of the names i mean this comes down all the way from high chief peter Maivia, uh all the way to rocky johnson superfly jimmy snooker the barbarian yokozuna rikishi uh your brother samu who was with rikishi and the head shrinkers all the way down to the usos and i know i'm going to be missing some out because there's a, an absolutely huge amount of names obviously the wild samoans as well this family legacy is, is absolutely a crazy. Uh, also, as mentioned, uh, the late Rosie and the late Umaga as well. Uh, very kind of overlooked nowadays, but Umaga was absolutely incredible in that ring. It, it's just an amazing legacy that just carries on and carries on. I don't think there is any family in wrestling that has the legacy that the Samoan dynasty has. No, I mean, there's some families out there that like the Hearts and you have the, the Von Eriks and everybody, but the biggest is our family for sure. I mean, there's about 17 of us that wrestle in our family, and that's with, uh, you know, the ones that passed away as well. Speaking about our, our, our legacy and our dynasty, you know, we got to give praise God for that once, you know, first, and, uh, and we got to thank our family members, which is our uncle, High Chief Peter Maivia, and my dad and my uncle, especially for training all of us. They're the ones that got us in the business. They're the ones that pushed us. They're the ones that actually said, when you go out there, you don't give them 100%. You give them 110%, 120% of what you do out there. And that's what made us who we are and, and to carry us on to become stars and stand out because we don't just go out there and have a regular match. We go out there and give it at all. I mean, you've seen matches with Umaga. You've seen matches with Rikishi. You've seen matches with the Head Shrinkers. You've seen matches with myself, with uh, Rosie. I mean, this is just not going out there doing just regular matches. We went out there and we gave them a different type of wrestling, which is how we were trained, to be rough and to go out there and be savages. And that's what the people see us as. But now more as years came through, uh, we actually slowed down on the savageness of, of wrestling, of, of what we were doing. But we always give it over 100%. And Vince McMahon loves our family. We're committed to WWE. We're committed to his family. We believe in loyalty. And um, 
respect and that's what we are with Vince McMahon and WWE we're loyal to the company we'll always be loyal to him I mean other opportunities come up to where we can wrestle with other companies but we'll always keep Vince in the loop and let him know the opportunities that come to us and hopefully he can couple with something else which he's always done and kept our family in the industry I'm waiting for Steve to seek us into nominate five come on Steve oh you want me to do the seeking do you yes <laughs> okay then bring the cord bring bring the cord what does yeah no just go I'm just plugging it in well while you're uh, making sure that you've got enough juice in your computer um I think you've had enough time to ponder on the big question of the day which is you have to nominate five. Now's the time to nominate five. Nominate five. Yes, nominate five. Not three or four or six or nine. Now's the time to nominate five. All right, I like that. (laughs) Most people do. (laughs) Most people just don't know it's coming, so they've got no option. Uh, yeah, I, that, that shocked me. I, th- I thought that, uh, you know, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> we ask that every week. So, Steve, what's Nominate 5? Okay, Nominate 5 is the part of the show where we get our guest. Uh, if we have a guest, sometimes it's just me and Andy prattling about. But we get our guest to nominate five things in a given category. Uh, it varies from guest to guest. And this week... Because we have Lloyd with us, we've asked Lloyd to nominate his top five best wrestlers turned movie actors. All right. How are we doing this? Is it going to be in a countdown? It should be in a countdown. Have you listed any in any sort of order, Lloyd? Yeah, I got it in order. Oh, wow. The... Oh, well done. I am, well am going to go from... Number five. The normal to the best. Okay. So we'll start at number five. Who have you got for us? I've got Roddy Roddy Piper. Awesome. Which movie in particular? Wow. I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, but when uh, I like the one where he played uh, with the, where everybody was an alien. Oh, They Live. They Live. Yeah, They Live. Yes, yes. I couldn't think of the name of it, but that, I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, we brought that up recently, didn't we? We did bring that up recently. Uh, and it's that's just one of those um, John Carpenter movies after Big Trouble in Little China that I don't think gets the, the same amount of respect as his earlier work. But Roddy Piper was just incredible in that movie. And that was his first movie away from wrestling as well as I believe. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. And it was iconic. And of course it had the longest back alley fight scene in any movie ever, <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, with the incredible Keith David. Yes, I Perfect. love Keith David's voice. I really do. <laughs> okay, well that is number five. Who have we got at number four? Kevin Nash. Oh, big bad Kevin Nash. Okay, so which one are we talking about? Uh, there's a few movies that he's done. At, like, uh, of course, The Longest Yard. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, he did a great job at Magic Mike. <laughs> never, I never, I never do that. Kevin can move his hips like that <laughs> without tearing a quad, right? <laughs> yes, and he was also the Russian in the Thomas Jane version the of Punisher. the Punisher. Yeah. Yes, yes, which was a huge surprise. That's always kind of like my default Kevin Nash performance. 
because he doesn't. I don't even think he says in a single word in in that movie. He just screams when he gets the oil flung in his face. Spoiler alert! Yeah. But uh, he's just unstoppable in that. Do you know the funny thing about look, with Kevin Nash though is the incredibly small roles that he takes because he played a doorman in I think it was John Wick. Yeah, the first John one. Wick, yeah, yeah, but. Do you remember that he was also Super Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2? Oh, I heard about that. You're right. Yeah. Was he actually credited? I think he was, yeah. But it's very funny because you've got Kevin Nash as the Super Shredder and voicing Splinter is Kevin Clash. <laughs> <laughs> I know. that That's too close. That is too close to call if they were on set the same day. Yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, I think he did a phenomenal job in The Lonely Shard with uh, Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. And, of course, oh, you yeah. know, you had other wrestlers in there that, you know, were in that movie. But I just think the role he did and, and the way his acting was, it was great. Yeah, he, he turned I up the comedy it. for that. Because isn't that the one where yes, he, he takes uh, the hormone tablets in his uh, Gatorade yes. or something? Uh, they, they, <laughs> they switched out his testosterone tablets to, uh, um, what is it? Uh, estrogen? Yeah, estrogen. Yes, yeah. estrogen. <laughs> and uh, just from that point, uh, I I really enjoyed it with him <laughs> itching his nipples. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> couldn't see him doing that, but he did. It, he did it well. The thing is, there is no ego in comedy. If you're gonna do it, go for it. Go all uh, absolutely. Yeah. So go on. Then, what is your number three choice? All right, I was gonna say Steve Austin. Okay, which movie? Uh, wow, man. I enjoyed him in a, a few, you know, he did a lot of B-movies. I, I've seen a lot of B-movies he did. But, um, I, I mean, I enjoy Steve. I love his character in wrestling. And he brings it on to the to the movie scene as well as this rugged guy. And um, I believe, I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. There was a few of them that I liked. There was one where he uh, actually was with his daughter. And they were out at a camping and then next thing you know something happened he had to protect her and uh, yes I couldn't that think was of the name um of hired to kill or something like that i'm pretty sure is Not that the one with sure. eric roberts in it i think i believe so yes yeah i do remember it uh, and i'm pretty sure it was something like hired to kill or something yeah. like that or born to kill one of those generic uh steven seagal style titles that you get yeah with three words and in it. also you know the longest yard as well he was in that and he did a great job in that as well yeah, I was going to yes. say, I think the only thing that I've actually seen uh, Steve Austin appear in as an actor was The Longest Yard. Well, you didn't see The Expendables? Uh, what, the first one or the second one? The first one. first one. Was he in the first one? Yeah, he was one of uh, oh, Eric, oh, Eric Roberts' was... hoods, well, along with yes. my, my buddy Gary Daniels. Yeah, now Eric Roberts, now there's a man who's had a whiplash career, hasn't he? He's gone, <laughs> He's gone from the highs of The Expendables and The Dark Knight to... Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper. God. <laughs> I'm not going to question you on that, Steve. I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> okay, so who do we have at number two? No, we're actually at number four. Oh, if we've no. been doing this the, the, the wrong way around. <laughs> if, we've, if we've been doing this the wrong way around, I'm going to be so disappointed. I thought we were doing so well. <laughs> every week. Every week something goes wrong with this countdown. <laughs> You, you, you know, you call it number four. We'll call it number two. Who is it? God, all right. <laughs> Dave Batista. Cool. Okay. Yeah, we'll take that as number two. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's the standout role for Dave for you? 
enjoyed Guardian of the Galaxies, and also um, I enjoyed him in in, in Stuber. He yeah, a different role. Yeah, you know, I actually really like character. That. that was a really funny movie. I've yeah. not got around to see that yet. No, it's good. And funny, straight after Stuber, uh, last week's guest was Richard Mirish, and he was the producer on My Spy, which was Dave's movie after Stuber. Like I say, he's. I was very worried about when he did My Spy because I thought, oh my god, he's doing Kindergarten Cop. You know, he's <laughs> he's following that trend of like Vin Diesel with the pacifier and and Stallone with Stop and My Mum Will Shoot. You know, where these big action stars will suddenly do a really uh, kids movie, kind of like Dwayne did with the game plan. And you kind of think, oh, what was that other one that he was in where he was like a tooth fairy? Was it just called Tooth oh, or something oh. like that? Who's that, Dave? No, no, no. But somehow no. we started talking about Dwayne here. <laughs> but, oh, okay. We uh, no, Dave. on Dave. Yeah, no, um, I, I fully agree on... Um, he has made Drax, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what I'm hoping is not his last outing in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm looking forward to seeing him in Dune, especially as the Beast Rabin. Beast Rabin making his second appearance on this show. Can you believe it? This week, there's a yeah. theme... I'm telling you. So, I guess, can we take a wild guess who's going to be at number one? Um, drum roll. Of course, Dwayne Johnson. Yes. DJ. To be honest, there was no way that it could not have been Dwayne at number one. He has, I think, more than any other professional wrestler over the last, well, since ever, been the biggest breakout and he's been able to actually transform himself from a wrestler who acts into an actor who used to wrestle. I don't know, man. I was holding out for a swerve that it was going to be Suburban Commando. (laughs) (laughs) So destroyed here. Thunderlips didn't make it to number one. But no, I suppose nepotism is fine, Lloyd. Nepotism's fine. We'll we'll go with Dwayne. I'm sure he's made one or two good movies. Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny you say that because everybody has their perspective and the way they look at him as an actor. A lot of people see him in certain movies and say, oh, he's horrible in this movie, which I think it depends the role he plays. I think he does a great job in all his movies. All his movies he's done, like, for example, uh, The Great Hobbs and Shaw. I love that movie. Yeah. In, in it, uh, even Central Intelligence and uh, doing movies with uh, uh, Kevin Hart, that was that was great. Yeah, he's definitely found the great comic pairing with Kevin Hart. It really does work. Yeah, uh, and they've done a couple of movies together now. Yeah, they've done a they've done a few. I mean, he's he actually puts Kevin in a lot of his movies. Uh, I mean, but just from that role, you know, and other things like the Tooth Fairy and how he takes on different roles is is. It's talent. I mean, you know, because yeah. not a lot of uh, actors can do certain things like become comedic, be in horror movies or whatever. I mean, he's done it all. I mean, he, you know, look at the Jungle Cruise. He's took on that, you know, that acting part of that. That's a little different. That's in between of of him being like a not a superhero, but you know, in the movie, the you know, all the stunts yeah. and all that they did. It was totally different. And of course, Jumanji, and the, you know, uh, he's done so many different. Uh, perspectives and different types he can just adjust to everything that's what makes him who he is i quite liked him in get smart <laughs> yeah <laughs> because <it> wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah because that was i thought that was a proper switch 
partway through because he was able to be spoiler alert if you haven't seen it but he was able to be a baddie but he was also able to pull off the the smooth suave secret agent and then layered on top of that was just a couple of wonderful comedic moments and it was just i thought i thought it was really good fun in that to watch in that movie i i personally like to see Dwayne uh for myself i mean he is great at the the popcorn movies you know the big hollywood blockbusters I like it when he gets a bit grittier, okay? So I'm talking your movies like Walking Tall, uh, yeah. which I, I don't think a lot of people give a lot of props because they love the original, and the original is brilliant, but I think he did a really commendable uh, remake of that. He did a couple of movies like uh, Empire State and uh, Pain and Gain. Uh, what was the one? Faster, which is actually a really underrated movie. That movie right there, I can watch over and over again. He he doesn't say much in the movie. Exactly, you know, it's yeah. all acting. It's all the facial expressions that he does uh, of everything. I mean, just he played that part so well, and the movie was actually great. I mean, the storyline was great. I loved it, and uh, yeah, I think that's one of his best. Yeah, and and it didn't fare so well. I think it just it just kind of got released, and I think it was very close to. Um, I'm not sure if it was before or after another movie he did called snitch and i think people get both of those movies mixed up i know it was released around the same time as empire state which was another movie that just kind of slid under the radar uh but when he does this these real uh gritty roles it's like gridiron gang not a lot of people remember a movie he did called gridiron gang which is basically he was the uh football teacher for these troubled youths and it's a brilliant movie it really is and i think Dwayne has this incredible talent of being able to morph into these roles that people don't seek out more than his Hollywood stuff. I mean, we were guilty of it the other week. We were talking about Doom and the fact that we actually really like Doom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and we've seen uh, Dwayne has joked the fact that he has done Doom in the past. But at the same time, it's like, well, we just love it because it is Doom, you know? And it, yeah. and it is a, a kind of silly movie, really, but it's... It's a guilty pleasure good. movie. It is. It's a guilty yeah. pleasure movie. But I want to see Dwayne now transfer a little bit away from the popcorn movies into the more Oscar-caliber stuff. Because I don't think he's got anything to prove on the blockbuster front anymore. You know, he, he is the guy you can transport into any franchise and he'll make it a hit. And now I want, to, I want to see him go for gold. I want to see him to be that first real Samoan actor to get the gold. Because I don't think yeah. there's ever been another one. No, but I, I wanted to get back to the movie you said, Gridiron Gang. That movie probably touched his heart in so many ways. Because, well, he was a football you know, star, wasn't he? he? Yes, he was a football star. And uh, the part of his the mother being in the hospital with cancer and all that, that must have touched his heart because I know it did me. You know, because uh, my aunt, his mom, uh, it's not hard to talk about, but it's it touches my heart still because she actually had cancer. And she's a cancer survivor. And it was around that time where he did that movie. And he actually wanted my aunt to play her role, her original role in that movie. But after reading the script and the way it went, she couldn't do it. So uh, it really, you know, it was hard touching for all of us to see that. Because when I watched that, it reminds me of, you know, what she went through. And it actually goes with actually his, his life about being in football 
you know, he wasn't in a, a detention center like these kids, but just the football perspective of it, of him playing for football and, and that part about the mom having cancer, that must have been hard to get through at that time. Oh, definitely. And you, you can see some of these projects. It'd be interesting to, I hope one day at some point in the future, we could get some of Dwayne on the show and just really discover what movies really touched him. No, and I'm sure Gridiron Gang would probably be right up there on that list. Yeah. But um, they are probably five of the best for Nominate Five. Yeah. You know, of talent that has transferred over. And over the years, we're going to see a hell of a lot more. And unfortunately, Glenn and Paul White, you didn't make the cut this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, guys. Sorry. sorry, guys. But, but you know what, I'll just say about Glenn Jacobs, he did a movie, and I think it was a WWE Studios movie, I can't remember what it is, and I remember that Dolph Ziggler was the main star of it, and Glenn played like the police captain, and he did such an amazing job. I was like, Glenn is a major movie star, and I know we, me and Glenn were looking to do uh, a project together at some point down the line that unfortunately hasn't transpired yet, it's still in development, but he really has got fantastic acting chops. You know, and now he's the mayor of Knoxville County. So, Glenn, yes, if if you can kind of open up the film commission there, I'll come and make a movie with you. Hey, anything's possible. It's funny. I just did a signing in Jacksonville uh, a couple months ago with him, and uh, we touched base again. You know, I haven't seen him in a while. You know, even when he was with WWE, you know, he was on the road. I would see him here and there at the shows, and even at WrestleMania and stuff like that. But uh, finally, got to talk to him a little bit. And we exchange numbers, and we always keep in touch with each other. Um, a little story that you know people don't know about me and Glenn is he actually came to Puerto Rico as a character named Doomsday. And Dutch Mantel was there as the booker, and Eddie Gilbert was there. And uh, they, you know Dutch wanted to bring in Glenn because he was in Memphis, and big guy that he was, he wanted to bring him into uh, work in Puerto Rico. So I had a two-bedroom condominium on the beach, you know, it was just me by myself, and I get a call from the office from uh, Carlos Colon, says, uh, you know, I have a Dutch Mantel coming in, and, uh, you know, can he stay with you for a little while till we get him set up? Mac, no problem. Well, Dutch ended up staying there, and he didn't leave. <laughs> that was his home <laughs> with me. Uh, then he bring Glenn in. And same thing, uh, you know, can uh, he stay there for a couple of times, then we'll get, you know, we're going to get another apartment and this and that. Yeah, no problem. Well, that didn't happen either. So in the time that we all stayed together, you know, I had a big, the, the living room was huge. I mean, we, you could fit another, it was like two rooms in one. Dining room and the kid, living room had, a, you know, L-shaped a couch, so, you know, you could sleep on that and everything. So... Glenn, of course, we gave him the second room, and I had my room, and Dutch stayed in uh, the living room part, which had a bed and everything, but um, Glenn actually lived with me in Puerto Rico. We became great friends. We used to work out, go to the gym together. We were on the road together, and um, he is a very intelligent person. Yes. When I mean intelligent, I mean, you know, people look at him as Kane on TV, but he didn't become the mayor of Knoxville without knowing anything. He is very intelligent, and I, I love him to death. I mean, I, I look at him as a brother because we came close. And, uh, of course, you know, him going to WWE, we didn't see much of each other at, for a while there. And everybody has their things to do. I was doing my life. He was doing his life. But 
when we get together, it's like we never skip the beat. It's always the same thing. We laugh, we joke, we talk about the good times, the funny times we had in Puerto Rico, which there was a lot of crazy times down there. <laughs> I can get into those stories if you want me to, at least one that has Glenn in it, which almost got us killed down in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's uh, definitely a story that we need to hear the next time you come back Lloyd yes so we'll just put that in the box for now and speaking oh, yeah. of in the box what's in the box what's in the box what's in the box what's in the box seamless what's in the box <laughs> I'm getting it every week. I am getting this part better. <laughs> so, we've reached that part of the show where we have to do what's in the box. Steve, tell us about what's in the box while I go for a rummage. Okay, well, well, you sort yourself out. Uh, what's in the box is the part of the show where Andy tries to improve my movie education and get me away from playing video games all the time and. Although, having said that, though, Xbox, I love you. We're never going to part. He's going to put his hand into a box and pull out a movie which he certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. If I haven't seen it, then I go away and I watch it the night before we record our next episode. If I have seen it, then we'll just keep pulling out names of movies until we find one that I haven't. So, what do you have for us this week, Andrew? Okay. Well, the good news is it's light-hearted. The bad news is you may have seen it. Okay. Have you seen Meet the Parents? Actually, no. I've only seen Meet the Fockers. Oh, my God. You saw the absolutely terrible sequel. Well, that's good because Meet the Parents is the better version of it. And uh, that is what you're going to watch next week. So you've got an actual comedy for once, Oh, yay! I don't have anything which involves rape or torture or imprisonment or bloodshed or brutalising people on a war field somewhere. I feel so happy! I get to I get to watch something which I can watch and I can laugh at. <laughs> and for those of you who are wanting to find out how Steve got on, uh, you can tune in next week at the beginning of the show. We will find out exactly what he thought of it. And for those who haven't seen it, you can go and watch it yourself. Join in with us and let us know your thoughts on it. Uh, even ask us some stuff that you want us to bring up. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. Anything. Because it got it's got a. a heavy load of great actors in it as well actresses it yeah. has you know it, it has uh, it's got De Niro in it you know uh, and this is before he did Bad Grandpas or Dirty Grandpa or whichever one old wasn't the one with Johnny Knoxville <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. But there's going to be some dis- confusion of which movie you went to see there uh, I do, yes, cause we, we had Bill come on and say that and he said that it was Bad Grandpa was hilarious and I was thinking wait is that the one with Robert De Niro does that no? It's the one with Johnny Knoxville. Uh, I can tell you how confusing that was. It wasn't even Bill. It was David Zucker. Was that David Zucker? <laughs> That's how confusing oh, that movie gets. Yeah, there we go. David Zucker completely blew my mind. But Lloyd, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show this week. We definitely want to get you back. Uh, obviously, we're working on projects together as well, of which we'll be able yes. to talk about at some point soon. My dog is yes. barking in the background, meaning that somebody is home. So I guess that means we've got to wrap it up for this week. But thank you for coming on to the show. Hey, it was a pleasure. And uh, yes, uh, let's do it again. Uh, I enjoyed myself. And we have a lot of other stories we can talk about the next time. As well as uh, I'm excited about the projects that we are working on. And uh, I can't wait. 
All right. Well, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on, Lloyd, and talking to you. And when you finally do have these couple of great big matches that you were talking about, I hope they all go really, really well. I appreciate it, Steve. And, uh, you know, maybe we have to extend this show a little bit because if you get me on here, man, we can go on and on. <laughs> Listen, we want to build the hype up for your uh, headbangers uh, and Samoans match. So uh, make sure you give Glenn a big headbutt from me. Yeah, for sure. And next time, maybe we, uh, you know, we can go on YouTube and uh, put that little portion of a that match which uh i'm definitely gonna get it recorded so you can see it we want to see it we want to see it yep so for everyone listening thank you for joining us this week and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week yeah and if you want to join the conversation you can follow us on both facebook and twitter at Pottywood. you can join us over on reddit at the r slash subreddit and you can find us on all of your main podcast apps for now though Bye. Ciao.